0: Today, we'll focus mainly on Saul. Uh, and the next week, we'll talk about Jonathan and his armor bearer. All right? uh, a couple things just to remind you. Cameron did a great job preaching last week. And in chapter 12 closes out, it uh, was a pretty heavy foreshadowing that you can see there. All right? uh, chapter 12, 24 to 25. Uh, Sandra concludes that speech with Be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you yet if you persist in doing evil both you and your king will perish um, that's that's i don't know that's not a good sign right? and the speech is rounding off alphabet um samuel knows what's coming all right and what's coming is uh you know in some sense well not in some sense i think this passage here at the end of 12 sets up 13 and 14. all right Saul is gonna be an example of persisting in doing evil, uh, and it's gonna to lead to his downfall. Alright? Jonathan is gonna be a tre- tremendous example of fearing the Lord and serving him faithfully with all of his heart. Alright? So the, 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 the vision is gonna be even within Saul's own family. Alright? Jonathan is a son. So, uh, and and the, the cause of Saul's downfall here. Maybe we'll just talk about this real quick before we read the text. Right. If, you, if you're familiar with First Samuel, here's what's coming. Okay? Uh, in chapter 15, Saul's going to again uh, rebel and disobey God. And Samuel's going to come to him and, and finish uh, kind of what he starts here in this chapter in 13, in terms of the removal of Saul as king. Right? Uh, and as he rebukes Saul, he tells him what basically the, the heart of the matter is that, that we talked about before, uh, that Saul, when he began, was small in his own eyes. By the time you know, 13, chapter 13, and chapter 15 arrive, Saul is no longer small in his own eyes. Saul has become very big in his own eyes. Right? He's become full of pride. And that's what you know that you know rebuke that Samuel delivers there is, is that is what's going on in his heart. Rebellion and arrogance. Rebellion and arrogance. Right? And Proverbs tells us, look, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Uh, the, 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 the benefit we have here in, in this text that we're reading in 13 uh, is Saul is going to fall. All right? 13 and 14 and 15 are showing us the pride that leads to that fall. All right? uh, and so as we read this text, you know, that's what we're looking for. All right? is, is the pride of Saul uh, becoming you know, very, very apparent? Amen? With all that said, let's read. Uh,
1: Verse 1 it says Saul
0: was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned over Israel 42 years. Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel, 2,000 were with him at Nikmash and in the hill country of Bethel, a 1,000 were with Jordan at Gibeah, or Jonathan at Gibeah in Benjamin. The rest of the men he sent back to their homes. Jonathan attacked the Philistines outpost at Gibeah, and the Philistines heard about it. Then Saul had the trumpet blown throughout the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. So all Israel heard the news Saul has attacked the Philistine outpost, and now Israel has become obnoxious to the Philistines, and the people were summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash, used of Bethabin, when the Israelites saw that their situation was critical. And their army was hard-pressed. They hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgad, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, And Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, Bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offering." And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done, asked Samuel? Saul replied, when I saw the men were scattering, and that you did not come at the set time, and that the Philistines were sibling of match I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me, and go down, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You've done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, you would have established a kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and appointed him ruler of his people, because you have not kept the Lord's name. And Samuel left Gilgal, went to Gideon, Benjamin, and Saul, counted the men who were with him, they numbered about six hundred Saul and his son, Jonathan, and the men with them were staying at Gibeah and Benjamin, while the Philistines camped at Michmash. Raiding parties went out from the Philistine camp in three detachments. One toward, turned toward Ophrah in the city of Shual, another toward Beth-Baron, and a third toward the borderland overlooking the valley of Zeboiim, facing, facing the wilderness. Not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel, because the Philistines had said, otherwise the Hebrews will make swords too. So, all Israel went down to the Philistines to have their plow points, mattocks, mattocks. axes, and sickles sharpened. The price was about two thirds of a shekel for sharpening plow points and mattocks, a third of a shekel for sharpening forks and axes for reappointing goes. That's, that's extortion if you're not familiar with ancient Hebrew currency exchange rates. Right? So, on the day of the battle, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or spear in his hand. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had him. Now, a detachment of Philistines had gone out out to the pass of Reconish. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men, among whom was Ahijah, who was wearing an ephah. He was the son of Ichabod, brother Ahithub, son of Phineas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in China. Let's draw in a connection so you remember Eli, not a positive character. And no one was aware that Jonathan had left. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross, to reach the Philistines outpost was a cliff. One was called Mozez, and the other Senna. One cliff stood to the north toward Mikmash, the other toward the south toward Gideon. Jonathan said to his young armor-bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, as armor-bearer said, Go ahead, I with you, heart and soul. Jonathan said, come on then, we'll cross over toward them and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if, we, if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves in the Philistine outpost. Look, said Philistines, the Philistines, if he was crawling out of the holes, they were hiding in." The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan, his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. Not about math's. Right. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given me into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed him and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about a half an acre. Then panic struck the whole army. Those in the camp and the field and those in the outposts and raiding parties and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. Saul's lookouts at Gibeah and Benjamín saw the army was melting away in all directions. Then Saul said to the men who were with him, must in the forces and see who has left us. When they did, it was Jonathan and his armor bearer who were not there. Saul said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God. While Saul was talking, talking to the priests, he come out in the Philistine camp increased more and more. So Saul said to the priests, withdraw we'll your hand. Then Saul and all his men assembled and went to the battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with their swords those Hebrews who had previously been with the Philistines and had gone up with them to their camp, went over to the Israelites, who were with Saul and Jonathan. When all the Israelites, who had hidden in the hill country, Ephraim heard that the Philistines were on the run, they joined the battle in hot pursuit. So on that day, the Lord saved Israel, and the battle moved on and beyond that of Now the Israelites were in distress that day, because Saul had bound the people under an oath, saying, Cursed be anyone who eats food before evening comes, before I have avenged myself on my enemies, so none of the troops tasted food. The entire army entered the woods, and there was honey on the ground. When they went to the woods, they saw the honey oozing out. Yet no one put his hand to mouth because they feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard that his father had bound the people with the oath, so he reached out to the end of the with the end of the staff in his hand and dipped it into the honeycomb. He raised his hand to his mouth, and his eyes brightened. Then one of the soldiers told him. Your father bound the army under a strict oath, saying, "Cursed be anyone who eats food today." That is why the men are faint. Jonathan said, "My father has made trouble for the country. See how my eyes brightened when I tasted a little honey. How, would it, how much better would it have been if the men had eaten today? Some of the plunder they took from the enemies would not the slaughter of the Philistines have been even greater? The day after the Israelites had struck down the Philistines from mash to do, they were exhausted. They pounced on the plunder, and taking sheep, cattle, and calves, they butchered them on the ground and ate them together with the blood. But someone said to Saul, Look, the men are sinned against the Lord by eating meat that had blood in it. You have broken faith, he said. Roll well, a large stone over here at once. Then he said, Go out among the men and tell them each of you bring your cattle, your sheep, and slaughter them here and eat them. Do not sin against the Lord by eating with blood still in it. Eating meat, sorry, with blood still in it said, brought his ox at night and slaughtered there, then Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first time he had done this. Saul said, Let us go down and pursue the Philistines by night, plunder them until dawn, and let us not leave one of them alive. Do whatever seems best to you, they replied. But the priest said, Let us inquire of God here. So Saul asked him, Shall I go and pursue the Philistines? Will you give them into Israel's hand? But God did not answer him that day. Saul therefore said, Come here, all you who, who are leaders, of the army let us find out what sin has been committed today as surely as the Lord lives whoever rescues Israel as surely as the Lord who rescues Israel lives even the guilt lies with my son Jonathan he must die but not one of them said a word Saul then said to the Israelites you stand over here over there and I and Jonathan will stand over here do what seems best to you they replied when Saul prayed to the Lord the God of Israel why have you not answered your servant today if the fault is in me or my son Jonathan respond to the, the it was with the Israelites." The men of the Israel are at fault, respond with the thune. Jonathan and Saul were taken by Lot, and the, and the men were cleared. And Saul said, Pass Lot between me and Jonathan, my son. And Jonathan was taken. And Saul said, Jonathan, tell me what you have done. So Jonathan told him, I tasted a little honey with the end of my staff, and now I must die. Saul said, May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if you do not die, Jonathan. But the men said to Saul, Should Jonathan die, he who has brought about this great deliverance in Israel, met as surely as the Lord lives, not hair of his head will fall to the ground, for he did this today with God's help. For the man that rescued Jonathan, and he was not put to death. Then Saul stopped pursuing the Philistines, and they would to their own land. After Saul assumed rule over Israel, he fought against their enemies on every side. Moab, the Ammonites, Edom, the King of Zobah, and the Philistines, wherever he turned, he inflicted punishment on them. He fought valiantly and defeated the Amalekites, liberating Israel from the hands of those who had under them. Hey, Amen. Everyone got all that, right? There's some, there's some great stories in there, uh, but there is a lot, and that's why we looked at it for over two weeks. And then so let's have a prayer, and then we'll uh, we'll dig into this a little bit. Yeah, not too long now. Since that took fifteen minutes, to do it. that's right. Uh, Father, we uh, you know we do is always just thank you. We thank you for your word that shines like a light, uh, God, and we know at times it also reflects like a mirror. We pray, God, that you help us, God, as we look at this text, you know, today, even next week, God, and you know, and see Saul and Jonathan and their character and their approach to life and you know the choices they make and how, how they follow you, you know, and God, we pray you help us, God, to see ourselves and survive. Father, we know we read a text like this and, and so often we just, you know, we want to be like Jonathan, but in reality, we're so much like Saul. Father, we know that, that, that pride is so, so dangerous. We know it's the, the fertile soil in which all other sins grow you know, and flourish in our lives. So we pray you help us. Help us to learn to, to see you know, our pride with, with clarity uh, and to respond to it with repentance, God, and humility. And Father, we pray you guide us and lead us in your spirit among us, God, helping us in this in end we Christ. All right, a, a lot there, right? But but there are some really cool stories. And if, you know, even if you've been, you know, maybe read the Bible for a while, uh, some of these stories are even the stories that, that seasoned Christians can read and think, what is that? About? I mean, the whole thing with with Jonathan and some honey, and you know, should he die? And, you know, it's, it's some of the interesting stuff. I mean, so we'll, we'll unpack all that uh, and look at that. But the overarching idea is is like I said before, uh, is that Saul's pride becomes more and more apparent as the story goes on.
1: Right?
0: Uh, like Pansy and, and Trevor shared, you know, in the communion, you know, we, we don't know what's in people's hearts. Alright? But at the same time, you know, our actions, our choices, and our words show us in our heart. Reveals it. Makes it apparent. You know, and here in the story we do see, you know, for lack of a better description, the ABCs of, of Saul's pride, all right, and how it does contribute. We'll look at this act which does become acts of disobedience. We'll right, we get a snapshot here of one act of disobedience uh, but it'll be basically mirrored again in chapter 15. All right, so we'll talk about that. We'll, seems a little bit harsh considering a single action seems to be done out of even good motives. Right? It's the big deal so we'll talk about that. Uh, we'll look at how Saul responds, and that's, of course, with blame shifting, uh, as you probably picked up. And then we'll, 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 we'll close out and, and talk about the, the interesting connection that happens, though, when pride begins to rule our hearts. How our life begins to have a lot of really um, apparent contradictions. Right? And even how, in, in our uh, warped sense of who's in control, we begin to then try to control everyone else. Right? So that's kind of what happened with Saul. And that's what the whole honey thing is about. So we'll, we'll, we'll unpack those together here uh, relatively quickly. And then, look at this first one, right? This act of disobedience from Saul. And I, and I, love, I love how Samuel approaches him. Right? What have you done, Saul? Uh, what have you done? Uh, you know, and you, you can see it again there in verses 9 to, to, to 12 in our text. Uh, you know, where, where Saul was at Gilgal. He had waited the time set by Samuel. Samuel didn't come. And begin to scatter. Saul takes the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, uh, and he offers up the burnt offering. All right, and, and it's always that just as he's just as he finished that, Samuel shows up. Right, uh, and it is interesting. You may think, gosh, what's the big deal? I mean, that seems like kind of a good thing, is not it? I mean, it's kind of, he he's he's gone to where he was supposed to be, and you know, they're are about to be attacked, and, I mean offering, making offerings to God, is involving God in the process, right? You know, what's the big deal, right? And and the the big deal is is this question that has been kind of lingering in the background all along the way here since Israel asked for a king. Because God was their king before. He was in control. And now you have another authority there. And the question that's been hovering there in the background is, will that king submit to the ultimate king? Will that person in authority allow themselves to be under authority?
1: Mm-hmm. All right?
0: And, and, and Samuel had very clearly, you can go back to read 8, chapter 10, verse 8. Samuel had very clearly told Saul, Go down ahead and into Yoga. I will come up to you to offer the sac- sacrifice, burnt offerings, and fellowship, of, fellowship offerings. But you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do, right? Uh, Saul had obeyed. Half of them. He's gone down to Gilgal. If he would have stayed at Hikmash, he would have been overrun by the Philistines. So in some, some since God has already rescued him in his partial obedience.
1: Alright?
0: But but time goes, you know. And I think it's an interesting text, because like when, when you read it, it does almost seem like, and I'm inclined to think this, like Samuel is in the bushes
1: waiting. <laughs> <laughs> Alright? It, it reads like it's a test.
0: You know, it's seven days, and so you know um, they're they're waiting and they're waiting, and and the end of that day it seems to be drawing near, and Saul decides just to get on with it, and as soon as he gets on with it, bam, David's like, hey, what's going on? Which helps you know, right? Because I think it probably was a test. God was testing Saul's heart: would he obey even when put in, in some sense the pressure? That's often the reality of difficult times and challenging times. It does kind of seem like how Saul was, where everything's closed in on you and you're under pressure. But really, that's when our our real heart is exposed. Will will we obey God or will we do what's right in our own eyes? And unfortunately for Saul, you know, he he did what was right in his own own eyes. And you may think, you know, okay, I understand he was told not to do it, but. No, it really is about this concept of authority and submission. You know, one commentator I've been reading on, as we've studied 1 uh, Samuel is, is by this guy R.D. Bergman. He makes the point that there's a big parallel here in 1 Samuel 13 with that of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. Right? Both are entrusted with authority by God. Both are, off, are, are given very simple commands and they both disregard those very simple things. Right. We were, I don't know, they're reaching out to someone and they say, you know, okay, I got an issue with the Bible. I mean, Adam and Eve eat a piece of fruit and maybe pass out. That seems harsh. All right? And the can, on the face value, does seem
1: harsh. All right?
0: But it's, it's not really about the fruit of the tree. It's about the posture of the heart. And the posture of the heart is, here's what God says here's what I think here's what I know God has made clear but but here's what I want and it's that question that runs throughout the Bible really
1: of who's in charge
0: who's calling the shots who really has authority and pride puffs puffs the person up and makes them think very highly of themselves, even to the point of, you know, getting to a point like Saul, where he thinks, okay, yeah, I know God said this, but this is what not going to do. And a simple act of disobedience reveals that heart. It reveals that pride. Right? And an issue with authority, as Saul has, really, because that's what it is, an issue with God's authority, we need to learn to see it as a serious thing. I think sometimes we don't this is one of the big reasons why God is very hard on parents training their children to be respectful to authority, because if the child can't reset, respect the physical authority that he can literally see or she can literally see, there's no way that you're going to respect the ultimate authority, which oh is God. All right. You know, this is always a warning to me. It's always warning, when, you know, when someone is flippant about authority. I remember meeting someone, you know, in, in the past, uh, you know, and. and uh, I was uh, <laughs> I was gonna cook pizza in my wood fired pizza, right? Uh, and I had a bunch of people coming over, and you know, yeah, that's great. A lot of people only come over just for the, the pizza and the pizza. really care about me, right? But they're coming over, uh, you know. And, you know be lost enough, right? in that, right? and and it turns out as it often doesn't in, in perfect in the summer, it, it ends up being a total fire pit, right? The, the guidelines that are provided by the government, what does it say? No one fire pizza. Right? Uh, and 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 one of these people came up to me and said, well, just do whatever you want. Uh, and i kind of laughing, but then I thought about I man, that's scary though. The disdain for authority, right? I mean it tells us something about our hearts that something's off. And that's the root of what Saul is wrestling with. Again, I, there's, there's reasons why. I think mean, he struggled with it. I think that insecurity that he had at first. Like when he was hiding in the luggage. And, you know, he got nervous. And, and it you know, it was uncertain. But then he had some success. And then you see what happens. It becomes all about him. Right? But even later on in the text, right, he makes this, this strong
1: curse. But you read the language of it, and what is it all
0: about? Him... Avenging his enemies. I gotta avenge myself. Sorry. When did it become all about you, son? But that's what pride does. It turns us back on ourselves. It turns us into ourselves so that all we see is self. It's such a simple act of disobedience, but it reveals such a profound condition of God. We gotta think, guys. Sometimes we can get caught up, I think on the surface level of stuff, would sin. And not think deeper about it. Why, why? did I do that? I knew what God said, and yet I still did this. Uh, what is that telling me about myself? You know, it does reveal that why. You know, C.S. Lewis makes this great point here, Christianity, and I know I've shared this before, uh, but I think it's so, so true, right? Fallen man, talking about all of us, is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement, he is a rebel who must lay down his arms. Again, we can. Witness, we can get in this false way of seeing things as, as
1: you know, I'm, just,
0: I'm, I'm weak. Okay, yeah, there may be some truth to that. At times we are weak, we are really weak. But I think more of the time, we're, we're stubborn little people. It's not that we don't know what to do. We do know it. We just don't want to do what we know we should do. And <laughs> we just, so bad. We've got to learn to, to, to bend our will to God's word. Secondly, here, what do we see kind of Saul's blame shift? You know, and this is uh, a major pattern. I mean, when we look at 15, uh, chapter 15, and what happens with Saul and the Malachites and how he responds there, it's very much a similar thing. All right? Uh, and even if you look at the parallels with Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, it's the same thing, it's blame shifting, right? Uh, and, and you think about us as a reader, right? We, we read this and, you know, okay, if we've been a good reader, we remember what was said in 10, uh, and then we see Saul go to Gilgal, okay, that's great, that's where he's supposed to go. Uh, and, and, and then we see what he does there in, in, in chapter 13, 9 and 10, uh, and, and we hear the question that's posed to him by Samuel in verse 11, what have you done? We know what he's done. I think Samuel obviously knows what he's done, because it seems like he's in the bush watching, right? Saul knows what he's done. But how does he respond? Right?
1: How does he respond?
0: When I saw that the men were scattering. That you did not come at the set time. The Philistines were assembling in Michmash. Blame to the men, scattering. Blame to Samuel, Bin Justification with the Philistines coming. Right? No personal responsibility by Saul.
1: No personal responsibility.
0: I mean, for a guy who's going to be in the, in, in the latter part of this text that we've read, insanely controlling, right, of other people. Insanely controlling of other people. Right? Adding on a, a stipulation of fasting on the day of battle nowhere in the Torah, nowhere in the Bible does it say to do. Right? Isn't that the biblical record. That's Saul heaping that on All Right? It's Saul being controlling. Right? He acts like. He's not living in control of his actions. And I think we begin to get this wrong there. I had a discussion with my 10 year old this week. She was in tears about her seating assignment in the classroom and how that affects her life. And we had a chat about you know what? The person sitting next to you, they, they can do whatever they want to do, but that doesn't have to dictate the choices you make. You have control over your own choices and decisions. And it doesn't matter what this person is doing. It doesn't matter what this person says. It doesn't matter what your circumstance is. You can still choose to do what is right. But a lot of times when we don't do what's right, we like to think it's somehow outside of our control. And everyone else is responsible for it. But Saul knew, just as we knew, just as Samuel knew, and just as God knew, that his justification in all those lists of things is not justification for him to be compelled to an offer to burn off Now, I think there's a couple of things to, to note with this. I think it's interesting that Samuel doesn't even address any of those things. It's interesting. You know me. You know I'd like to get us to talk about that. Let's break those down. You know what I mean? That's, that's how much. But Samuel doesn't actually even. In some sense, I think for Samuel, it's, it's confirmation of a deeper problem. And at this point, I think Samuel is even more convinced that you know what? If that's his posture, then it doesn't even matter to us. It doesn't even matter. I mean, again, that to me is even more scary when you think about prophets. Right. I and mean, how it closes us off. All right. But I often think as well, like what if, what if Saul responded differently? Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I mean, you know, what, if, what if he doesn't
0: respond as he does there in 11 12? Maybe if he just responded with, eh, Sam, well, you know what I did? Offer to burn off I offered a burn-off in the I'm Because
1: mm-hmm.
0: those of you who know the story, the next king the man after God's own un- heart, it's not like he's without fault. Even, you know, from a, uh, a non-theological perspective, you look at his sin, right? You know, adultery and murder. I mean, oh my gosh. It seems way more serious than offering a to burn off. But when, when David messes up, and a prophet, Nathan comes and confronts him, you
1: know,
0: his response is this. I've sinned against the Lord, period. No but. No, just, no justification, no shifting it on to someone else. No, hey, let me give you some more information so you can have the full picture and feel good about me. None, none of that. I've sinned. You know, it's amazing. As Nathan implies, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. That's the good news, right? You can read the rest of the passage though. That forgiveness does not mean the consequences of David's sin go away. Sometimes we can get this very, very wrong. We can think that forgiveness from God means exclusion of all consequences. That's not true. God forgives David and He allows the consequences to run its course.
1: Because
0: contrary to our perspective, consequences and negative consequences is not God just punishing us. And And if we see it purely as punishment, we're going to loathe it and hate it. But I think David Perhaps understood this idea that you know what, God forgives me, and the consequences are still gonna come, and even as the consequences are coming, and I'm not gonna go into this story at the same time, but even as the consequences are coming to David's life, he prays for a change, and those consequences for that change does not come. But I think David understood that consequences, the consequences, the principle that is inbuilt into creation of we reap what we sow. Yeah, yeah. That that is necessary for training. That is necessary for teaching us. Yeah. I mean, if God removed all consequences of our sin, I reckon we probably would sin a lot more.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, sometimes the bitterness, you know, uh, results of our sin are the very it's the very thing that helps us to grow as yeah. much as God's grace helps us to grow. Come on,
1: son. did we learn? Yeah. And we learn a lot of times. Sadly, we only
0: seem to learn by experience. Yeah. But I do think we've got our we, we cannot overlook the reality of the forgiveness offered to David. Does not mean the removal of the consequences of David's sin. Understand, as much as we may want it to at times. In fact, the consequences come doesn't mean it then tells us that there wasn't forgiveness. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: The consequences in and of themselves sometimes are as well an act of grace from God. Amen.
1: But the point is that
0: David owns it yeah. and Saul does not. Yeah. And that's the hideous nature of blame shifting and pride. Yeah. Does that reckon if Saul would have responded differently? Does yeah. That seems to be what Samuel says. Don't it could have endured. It could have gone on. The kingdom could have lasted a lot longer, but you wouldn't. You wouldn't just own it. Instead, he blamed it on anyone and everyone other than himself. That's a tragedy. And what goes on from there, and it does come sure as well, is a greater and greater realization of just how contradictory Saul is as a person. Right? And his futile attempts to control, are directly connected to him. Saul has authority issues. And so he ends up trying to control everyone around him. Saul constantly chains, changes and shifts in his own whim because he's, he's perplexed internally. You know, the more we, you know, harden our heart and rebel against God, the more the Bible says, like Romans 1 and the, the, the Ephesians chapter 4, that our thinking becomes futile. Yeah, yeah. A lot of pastors talk about this. You know, as, we, as we slide back into rebellion, we become more and more, you know, animalistic in a sense. Alright? Meaning not using your higher level of reasoning. And instead acting out of instinct. All right? This is what we see in Saul. And there's a lot of examples, okay? You know, even Saul's action of offering up the burnt offering. Think about that on face value. He is in an act of disobedience, trying to garner God's favor. <laughs> right? I mean, he's literally, his, his, his motives are, let me do this so that God will then do what I want him to do. So through an act of disobedience, he's trying to control God. In a warped way. he's very much like the older brother, in the, the parable of the two sons. and. Right? And look, look Look! what he does there in, in verses 2 as well as verse 4, right? So he sends the people back home and, and within two verses he, he calls them back. It's kind of weird. Right. You go on. Verse 3, look, the text tells us Jonathan attacked the Philistine outpost. It doesn't say Saul sent Jonathan out to attack the Philistine outpost. It says Jonathan wouldn't do it. Right. When Saul talks about it, Saul attacked the Philistines, I Well, not exactly Saul. Right? It's not like Saul was keeping close tabs on anything. Later on in the other story of Jonathan as armor they don't even know they're gone. Right? It's not, it's not like, you know, one commentator talks about, you know, so many of these, these, these stories in these chapters, 13, 14, 15, you know, and even continuing on even further as Saul hunts David, one of the major themes being hit over the head for the readers is that Saul is spiritually blind. He's unaware.
1: If I you know the story
0: well. Later on, Saul will be in a cave, so unaware of David that David will walk up and cut off a piece of his clothes. You don't even notice this, this, this dullness that comes over Saul as it just further and further from uh, God. We see, you know, here. Here's an example. All you know being contradictory. You know later on uh, when the battle begins to start, he you know he, he tells Ahijah, Eli's you know great grandson, uh, bring me ark. Right. mean okay, let's let's ask God if we should engage in battle. Uh, but before they can even do that, he changes his mind. He says never mind, we go again. Let's go.
1: Right.
0: Chop and change, Chop and change all, all over. The place, right. There's lots more examples. All right. Lots more of All right. Uh, 1424. You can see it up there on the screen. This is the, the reference, right? Uh, it says, Now the Israelites were distressed that day and saw down the people under a nose, saying, "Curse be anyone who eats food before he even becomes, before I have avenged myself on my enemies, so none of the troops tasted the food. know, as I said before, there's nothing in the Torah that says this. All right? Nothing in the Torah. Nothing in the Bible says to do that. All right? Uh, you know, think about even how that story plays out. All right? Jonathan, who the text is very clear, never hears Saul say that. So Jonathan is the ignorant of the commandment. Right? And gets the, the end of the spear into the honey, and has a text. Minor action. Right? When confronted on it, what have you done? Jonathan tells him. Literally, what I've done. Even Jonathan's response. Some people argue whether that should be an exclamation point or a question mark. Here's what I've done, and now I must die. Is that a question or is that a statement? But either way, Jonathan, you know, he is in some sense ready for whatever's coming. Now, Jonathan acted out of ignorance, Saul acted with complete knowledge. Jonathan owns it, Saul refuses to own Saul wants to kill Jonathan, put him to death. And again, he, he continually pushes back Saul himself against any kind of judgment that God tries to bring in his life. And you see the contradictory nature of Saul. He's harsh on others, but incredibly soft on himself. He's all about exercising his authority with, you know, just making his vow and holding everyone to it, even those who haven't even heard it. But, but he himself won't follow the clear instructions given from the prophet. Maybe the whole thing with, you know, the scenario with meat, right? You know, because he makes this crazy vow and the guys are out in, in battle, they're all famished, and so they begin to just have some uh, shashimi, right? Uh, some cane and some raw meat with blood still in it, uh, you know? Uh, Saul doesn't even know that's a sin. You read the story closely; so you see if somebody else tells him hey, that uh, Saul, Saul, is sinning by doing that. Saul didn't know. And the same thing even happens with Ahijah, right? It's not Saul's idea to inquire on the, of the Lord and see whether they should go and engage in, in battle. It's Ahijah,
1: and that's kind of, that's a
0: low point for Saul if you know the story, right? I mean to have someone from a priestly line that has been rejected by God being more spiritual than you. And even when you do inquire, God doesn't answer. And you also get into that text, verse, verse 35 of chapter 14, the first time Saul was building an altar? What happened to worshiping God? What happened to honoring God? You see the, the, the sad of Saul. you God know, takes over his life, he becomes more and more contradictory, more and more controlling. This is the, 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 the sad picture, really. is getting worse. I'm not going to camp on Saul heaps uh, after chapter 15, but, but man, it just gets sadder and sadder. Because even in this text, God's telling him, look, I'm going to find someone, and I'm going to appoint a king after my own heart. Saul hunts that king for four years. Saul spends most of his life fighting with David. But David's not even fighting back. He control. Saul thinks the issue is with David, the issue is not with Saul may think the issue is with Samuel, the issue is not with is Samuel. Our authority issues have their ultimate, you know, the ultimate cause or you know, root of that issue is your issues of God. Not with people. And you can try to make it all about people as much as you want. But you're just avoiding the reality that you have to face something That's why the Bible says, At the end, everyone's going to face that. Everyone's going to appear before the judgment seat. Every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. The question is whether you humble yourself here now in this life. Or whether you are humbled in the next. Everyone is gonna one day have to face the reality that they are not in control. You may think you do, you may think you have all it. You're not. God in our moments. We've got to heed the warning that comes at the end of 12, right? Be sure to fear the Lord in serve things. Not with half your heart. Not one day a week. With all of your heart. Serving faithfully. Huh? Considering what he's done. But no, if you persist in doing evil, God is not mucking
1: around. Yeah, yeah.
0: You will reap what you sow. That may come with time. may not even come in this life, but it will come. And Saul's so a sober reminder. I encourage you this week think more about pride—not my pride, not Trevor's, not your spouses, not your coworkers, not your friends, not your neighbors, but yourself. There's a great book, you know, by this guy uh, Gene Edwards, called "Tale of Three Kings." And he goes through these kings in this book. And he paints this picture of their flaws and their failures. And every chapter ends with the same thing. Hey, hey, hey. Be sure you don't think you're not the bad king. Make sure you don't rush and think, oh, that's something. I'm more like You've got to realize we all have a lot of solvents. When's I mean, the last time you confessed be pride. When's the last time you asked somebody, hey, what are the ways you see the pride in life? What are the ways you see me just throwing myself? When's the last time you bounced off your response to a scenario? Hey, is this me just being proud? Is this me just being defensive? When's the last time you did that? Is it something that's on your radar as a possibility? Because if it's not, then the path is it's dark and the soul's going to go we got to look at it. we got to make a decision, man. I'm not good at it. Amen? It's sober so rewarding from Saul. Right. Next week, we'll look at be Jonathan. Because, like I said, Jonathan gets this. He gets it, man. Let me, let me fear the Lord and serve him faithfully. Let me do that with all my heart. He's a tremendous example of it. You know, and it wasn't for other people literally ransoming him. Saul I'll put him in there. Be more like John. us So, a prayer and we'll stand and sing one final song. Father, we, uh, uh, you know, obviously, we need so much help here. We know that sin in general is, is, is blinding. Um, God, but we know that pride, even more than other sins, has the ability to blind us. We can distort our eyes, how we see the world, God. We don't want to be a people with haughty eyes. We don't want to be people that, that have rebellion in our hearts, puffed up and arrogance, God. We don't, we don't want to be disobedient, God. We, we want to fear you in certain places, with God, in all of us. We pray you help us. Here. You know, give us the uh, you know, the ability to see ourselves and see our pride. Help us to you know, open up our hearts and our lives to, to people around us that can help us, God. Help us to, to, to see what is in our heart. Can help us to, to, to walk in a way pleases We pray you help us, God. Help us to be like Jonathan and like David. Uh, but we know that only happens by us choosing to, to uh, surrender the parts of our hearts that are just Help us in this, God. Uh, help us to, uh, to learn to, to own when we mess up. To not fight and rail, to not wrestle, and troll, control and try to manipulate you know, yes. and preserve self, but instead to follow the pattern that your words of word, so clearly shows. When we lose life, we really actually find it. Help us in all these things.